0: On. Hey, there it is. Um, yeah, I have a, a little less time than I thought I was going to have, but God knew exactly how much time I was going to have, and um, you guys aren't hungry anyway, are you? <laughs> anyway, when Rich called me about ten days ago and asked me if I could uh, uh, swap dates with him for messages, and my first reaction is almost always no. Um, but uh, I thought, you know, oh, you know. How, how can I get ready in 10 days, and then I thought, oh, I'm not in charge, God's going to get ready in 10 days, so um, as soon as I, I got that concept, it was just totally fine, and, uh, and I'm really excited to be talking to you about love, um, Michael and his team did an awesome worship about love, and I want you to keep thinking about those emotions those, those relational emotions that came up during that time because um, I want you to keep thinking about how much God loves you and seep in that as we talk in more of the intellectual part. I don't want it to all be intellectual. I want you to keep thinking about those relationships. Um, so the topic is Jesus is love. It's one of our eight statements of our message. And uh, when we say Jesus is love, it's kind of an unusual way to use the word love you know, we usually talk about love as something that happens to us. we fall in love or somebody loves us or something we do. you know, I'm going to go and love that person by bringing them something. Um, for God, it is His very nature to love. He is love. It's not something he occasionally does. It's what he does. It is what He does. It's the foundation of everything he does. Um, And and there's a lot of explanations. I've I've had to compress a lot of material into what we can do in just a 30-minute message. Um, But love is why God created the universe and why he created human beings in his image. Love is why God sent his son to live as a man with us and why he executed him for our sins. Love is why Jesus volunteered to become a man and let himself be executed. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know, we, many of us have memorized that first verse, but not often the second. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. That's not what love is. That's not what we're talking about here. But that the world might be saved through him. That's the beginning of our understanding of what love is about. Jesus is the full expression of God's love. It's what we needed. Michael talked about the Garden of Eden and that break in our relationship and that betrayal. And yet, God did not stay there, He went further and said, I love you. I'm going to sacrifice my son for you. Love is always better communicated by actions than words. The words are important, but words do not make a person feel loved. To feel loved, we have to see love demonstrated. And Jesus' actions and the Father's actions speak of his love to us. Through Jesus, we know God's love for us. And through Jesus, we become able to love God and all others just as he loves. As we say, God's love is fully expressed in Jesus Christ. But through Jesus, we become able to love God and love others as he loves. How could we possibly do that? How could we possibly do that? Well, first, God loved us. Romans 5, 6-10 For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Look at those words. While we were helpless, ungodly, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, God loved us. Jesus died for us. So that's the beginning of how this love can affect us. God is loving us while we're we're his enemies second thing that happens is God put God through Jesus put his love in us so that we can love others Um, in John 17 Jesus was praying for his disciples and for all of us this was after the last supper and he said father I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that I may so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world Jesus is God and with God for the foundation of the world. O righteous father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known you that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That love that was from the foundation of the world, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So we've got God's love in us. That same love that is between the Father and the Son from the foundation of the world is in us. Because they put it there. Not because we d- Remember we were the enemies. He loved us. He put that love in there through Jesus. So what do we do? So what is our response to God's love for us and his love in us? Well, that love is going to transform us. And uh, it's going to take some process. And again, this is where we're going to get into a little bit of, of like we we're saying, you know, ways that this happens. But, but keep thinking about the relationship. Keep thinking about what that means. What kind of tremendous love is in you that God put there? That love that's between the Father and the Son since the foundation of the world. It's kind of a big thing. Kind of incomprehensible one as we get transformed by that one way that it becomes evident to ourselves and to others is by how we love and whom we choose to love because love is an action and love is a choice for us for god love is what he is and who he is for us we have actions we have choices um the way that that love shows up, the way that other people can feel it. Just like we need to feel love, God's love, other people need to feel God's love. And we can do that. Oh my gosh, we can do that through our actions and through our choices. So we're going to talk about four commands that are different aspects, different levels of transformation of this love thing. Four commands that we got from God and from Jesus. First one, love God. In the Old Old Testament, the Old Testament, God commanded, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. We're supposed to love God. The God that is love. Okay? We're supposed to love him. Right. And Jesus, when asked by a lawyer, which is the greatest commandment in the law, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. So how do we love God who is love? He is love himself. He's the reason for our ability to love. He's the source of all the love that we have to give. How do we love him? And this has been a struggle for me because um, you know, we talk about and I'm going to keep referring to Mark. He just said so many good things. It's like, I was, I, I, it's a good thing I put away my pen. I personally put away my pen before worship started, so I didn't want to keep taking notes. I was done taking notes. But it's like, oh, I should write that down. Oh, I should, oh, I should put a note there. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, God, that you told me to put away my pen. Um, we don't walk day to day, I don't walk day to day feeling God's love. I want to, but I don't always. Even more so, I want to. that I'm loving God. I want to know that I'm expressing that love to God. You know, I want to sit maybe by my room and say, I love you God, and really do something or or express something, and I feel inadequate. I feel like I don't know what to do. So that's me. Other people may not have that. Um, So that's been a difficulty for me. But listen to this. This is in Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Uh, This is during the judgment time. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer to them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And this was my answer. How do we love God? How do we express our love to God? We want to. We want to say, God, I am so grateful. You love me so much. How do we express that love to him? We love others. It's so simple. Is it simple? No. It's simple, but very difficult. And, and as much as we want to do something else, because we often want to do something else, sometimes things that are very simple and straightforward are, are not what we want to do. If you read the newsletter, Marcia talked about the, the other trinity, the me, myself, and I trinity. And uh, I love that. Um, yeah. You know, oh, God, I, I want to just love you. I just want to sit In my room and sing songs, and I want to let you know how much I love you. And he says, To the extent that you did it to one of the brothers, you did it to me. That's how he wants us to love. He wants us to love others. Jesus is love. God is love. And he wants us to love others. That's why we've got this love in us. So, our answer, our first answer, to love God, we love others like God loves. So, let's go further. Another command. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is in John 13, 34. Oh, the verses aren't up there. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's the first time I tur- I'm so nervous. I forgot to turn around and even see that that was going on. Or have, so there, he's, been keep- he's, got, he's got it handled. Okay, okay, good. So now I can count on that they're up there. I've been assuming that. Okay. Okay. Um, even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, it's a, It takes a miracle to love like God loves. Because we already talked about how huge and amazing that is. And that's why Jesus told us, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because that would be a miracle. We couldn't do that on ourselves. We can't. We just... It's just, it's, it's that real simple thing that is so hard. So the only way we can love one another is because God is intervening in our lives, changing us, carrying us along. Twice more, in John 15, 12, and in John 15, 17, he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you, and then this, is, I, this I command you, that you love one another. Three times in, uh, in a period of just about three chapters, I often find in my spiritual life with God that when He wants me to do something, He has to tell me three times. It's kind of what you get. It's like I, many of you know the old story about the mule and the man hitting him over the head with a stick, and he says, well, "That's just to get his attention." It's like, is that cool? That's like I feel like God has to get my attention. Then I do exactly what He says. <laughs> three times. So, so when I see it, when I see Jesus say something three times, or when I say "truly, truly," when He says "truly, truly," I say to you, then I try and perk up my ears, because I think, oh. So, we're going to love God by loving others. How do we become loving of others? How do we become loving? Here's what uh, John, the disciple John said in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and and this is the passage that Doug shared last week, which I was so excited about, because I know it would be in here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we're, we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And it goes on. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I'm going to stop there, in the interest of time. Love appears so many times in these verses, and I've actually not even read all the way to the end. But we hear that God is love. Love is from God. God loved us first. God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to give us life. We love God because he loved us first. We love others because God loves us, and there's more. There's so many more. Um, People see our love. They see the evidence of God by our love for each other. They see that we are truly his disciples because we love. In short, God is saturated in love, and anyone who is connected to God is saturated in his love. So that's where we get our love that's where we get that saturation by being connected to God to the extent that we can con- continue our connection with God to the extent that we take time and connect ourselves with God that's how much love we can have that's how much the love we can carry and that's what we're transforming into this connection with God is what causes the transformation we grow we're not there but we grow in that in the, to the extent that we connect and let God Jesus the Holy Spirit be the guide to our lives so we've got this path We love God. We love others like God loves us. We love each other. We have gotta keep going because there's more. Here's an Old Testament law from Leviticus. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is what the Jewish nations were taught. This is in Moses' law, which is their foundation, that the native, that the um, stranger who resides, you shall love him as yourself. We, we, We are more familiar with the later verse, which I'm going to read, but that's way back at the beginning, and that's what they're familiar with. That's their source, that they should love the alien within them. Okay? But in Luke chapter 10, we have a story. The lawyer stood up, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when they saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also. Remember, Levites is the tribe that is in support of the priests and part of the priest's family. They have expectations in that regard. When he came to the place, he saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey... Came upon him, Samaritan. Stop there. I know you know the story. Many of you do. Who are the Samaritans? They're foreigners. When when um, ten of the tribes of Israel were captured by the Assyrians, they were dispersed, and the Assyria brought foreigners in. That's what they do to mix people up, to so people don't aren't attached to their land, and that's how they can conquer them. So people, other foreigners, intermarried with a few maybe Israelites. Uh, they have a plethora of gods. They all have their own traditions, but they're aware of the Jewish God, among others. And so they have some knowledge. They worship him alongside other gods. They worship up in the mountains. That's what we know about Samaritans. So how did the Jewish people feel about this? They think of them as foreigners that are like trying to claim to be somewhat related to them, but yuck, they're like bastards. And You know, they they are not the sons of Abraham. They are repulsed and recoil, Samaritans. They do not like them. They live right next door to them. In fact, on a map, you've got a Jewish settlement here and a Jewish settlement here and Samaritans, right? And they won't even travel between. They go a long way around. All right. How would the Samaritans feel about the Giants? We don't know too much. We know from the woman at the well that she's surprised that somebody would even talk to her. But I can imagine that they felt very victimized by the fact that you, you, you're, you're so prideful and arrogant. You treat us this way. You treat us like dirt. So here comes the Samaritan, Jewish man on the side of the road. Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, said, take care of him, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? He said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said, go do the same. This is where we have the, the command that we're supposed to love Our neighbor. Not because they are our friends, not because they are loving each other, but even if they're a Samaritan to us. Who is that in our lives? Who is that in your lives, in my life? Remember, the Samaritans were repulsive and offensive to the Jews. Who are we repulsed and offended by that live right near us, in our next neighborhood, in our next church over? In our uh, workplace, the Judeans felt superior to the Samaritans. They said, we know the real truth, and you guys just like losers. You don't know. You're doing it wrong. Who do we feel superior to? Because of their race? Because of their politics? Because of their lifestyle? Or because of their opinions? Because of how they dress? Because of the choices they make? We've got an election coming up. Are we loving our neighbors or only the ones that think and act and vote like us? I mean, this is, this is the big challenge for us. This is the next step. This is the thing that to the extent that we are connected to God, to the extent that we let his love live in us, can we love our neighbors? Can we love all those people? Everybody getting quiet, and I know you're thinking, who is it that you feel convicted by right now, by God, that, oh, I'm supposed to love that person. And it's kind of nice when we talk about the Samaritan. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll love this. I'll love my neighbor. i got neighbors here, neighbors there. I know them. It's like, what about the neighbor that you don't really like, the one that plays loud music, the one that has parties, the one that has bumper stickers on their car that you don't approve of? You can tell a lot by our bumper stickers in this. I mean, now, so now we're talking about the real world, the day-to-day world. These are the people that we are commanded by Jesus to love. We cannot do it on our own, only through him, only with him, which is why you don't see other people doing such a thing. How many other religions do you see that people are being told to love the people that they are repulsed by, to love the people that they are uncomfortable with, that they don't agree with? And how do we do that? I I would not have a clue except that I know that the people that are coming to my mind are people that God wants me to love and he's going to be able to, just like he's going to get me ready for a sermon in 10 days, he's going to be the one that's going to allow me to love those people. And it's not going to be all at once and it might just be finding them on the side of the road and saying, oh my gosh, yes. I don't care who they are or what they believe I need to help them right now and we need to be ready but if we don't if we don't train our mind and our emotions ahead of time if we don't prepare our mind ahead of time to decide to make we need to make the choice now that we're going to love those people because otherwise when we come upon them we will have already decided not to but if we decide right here right now that if they were in trouble, we're going to love that person. We're going to help that person. If they need something if, that we can provide, we're going to do that. We decide that now so that when the opportunity comes, we're ready to help. That's the way that we can start changing. And we pray, and, and we'll have time to do that. Um, so, I can barely get some stuff in here. Um, Thank Okay. <laughs> We, we love God, so we love others like God loves. Because that's the only way we can really show our love to God. So we love each other. We love our neighbor, even those we don't want to associate with. And then there's more. thought that was hard enough, right? Okay, you know what? If that's where we're at, if that's the hard place, then that's where we stop. But God never stops. And, and, and in fact, we can be working on all these things. Sometimes loving each other is the hard place. Sometimes our own brothers and sisters, sometimes our own immediate family is the hard place. Um, You know, I've been spending a lot of time with my dad. That is my hard place right now. Um, So maybe that one isn't as hard as the next one, or maybe one of the early ones are. So these are all, not necessarily progression, but they're all aspects. Um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew 5, 43 and 48 said, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your brothers... What more are you than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are, you who are to be perfect, no, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. In other words, we're supposed to love the way God loves. Completely, everybody, inclusively. Now remember the Samaritans were the neighbors. They were the persecuted maybe of the Jews, but they weren't the persecutors. Now, so they weren't the enemy. They were the neighbors that were kind of undesirable, but they weren't the enemy. Now we're talking about those who persecute us, our enemies. Let's look at Romans 5.10 again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were God's enemies when he loved us. We were not just his Samaritans. We were not just unpleasant, because we know we were. We were full of sin, right? We were sinners. We were ungodly. We were helpless. That would kind of represent a Samaritan. But we were worse. We were his enemies. We were persecuting him. We were neglecting. We were rejecting him. We were doing things that were horrific. We were being unloving. We were breaking his relationships. We were hurting other people that he loved. And he died for us. That's what God's love is. That's what we've been commanded to strive to attain. And no, I don't expect that I can love my enemies the way God loves his enemies, loves me. But that's what I am commanded to do. Jesus expects us to love as he and his Father love. He expects us to follow his commands. We cannot do any of this on our own power. Only when we are saturated in God's love can we love so now we think, who are our enemies? You know, Do we have them? Is anyone persecuting us? We are, we are more, most often in a, in a fortunate place where we don't have big external government-controlled persecution. But in our lives, there are times where people lie about us or tell lies about us or reject us or turn away from us. And take away things from us, take away relationships, block us from what, what we know God's love is. Those are our enemies, and we are to love them. I, I, you know, I was thinking this morning, and I don't have the name, but for the first time just recently, I read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boone. And, you know, it's interesting. Corey wrote the book, but it is more about her sister, I think, than it is even about her. And I cannot think of her sister's name because I didn't. Betsy, Betsy, thank you, I knew knew it. (laughs) I got like, Betsy's old face. When they were being persecuted by the Nazis, I mean, and even if you haven't read the book, you know the stories, you know how how bad that is. Betsy was the one when some young man was coming and, and abusing them and beating them. And she would pray for that young Nazi man because she felt that this was horribly tearing to his soul, that she knew what damage it was doing to him. And that just meant so much to me. That really shows what it is to love your enemies. I can't imagine doing that. But uh, that's what God's love can do. And I think that... (laughs) That just came to me this morning, and I was getting ready, but it's like... That's the one place, real world place that I can imagine, that I know of, was Betsy's life. It was just amazing. If you haven't read the book now, you'll have to go read the book. So, um, in just these last few minutes, it's okay because next Sunday I'll just open it by touching on some of these other things. <laughs> sure. It'll work fine. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, we've talked about who to love and how we become loving. And I wanted to talk about what that love should look like. Um, Because here in Walnut Creek, friends, we have a vision statement. Through God's love, we are becoming people who love God and love others like Jesus does. You know, but what does that love mean? It's so different for each of us. Um, What does God mean by loving? I mean, and Michael said it perfectly. He said, it's like a relationship and it looks totally different for each of us. It's very personal. Um, So how do we do this day by day? How do we, what does it look like? We talked about who to love. We talked about how hard it is, but that God can make it. What does it look like? And I, I'm just going to briefly touch on these. Maybe I can touch on them next week. Um, in the Bible, there's some specific things that we hear about Jesus Christ and his love. Um, this is in Ephesians 3. I'm trying to edit. Uh, Okay, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So if we know Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus Christ fills us with love. Um, in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Very two simple things that represents love. Visiting orphans and widows in their distress. So when we look in the Bible, we can find specific things. Caring for the need and the stress. Remember, we said this earlier. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. There's a nice little shopping list of how, ways that we can love. Um, we're going to be working at the shelter. And that is because we want to show God's love to the people. And we may not know how the best way to do that, but we know by showing up and being there. Rich shared something very powerful to me a week ago. He said, being in this world is an act of love. Wherever we go... We can share God's love just by being with somebody, sitting by somebody's side silently is an act of love. There is one other way that I think we can really learn about love, and it's looking at Jesus as a model. This is not what he said, what he commanded, what he, when he's speaking to us through the disciples, but what he did with others, how he behaved in the world. And uh, I'm going to share some. There's lots. And this is where just knowledge of Jesus is a way to learn about love. So I'm going to share f- four or five cases. Um, in Matthew 19, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. And he said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus' relationship with children. He gave them importance. This was Jesus. This was God. And the disciples said, don't be bothered with children. We should not do that to children. This is a very, you know, if if we are keeping children away from where the relationships are, not just from God, but from any relationship, if we're keeping the children away from us, If we're not giving them our love and attention, Jesus would be rebuking us. He's saying, children need attention and love. And Michael said it perfectly the the daddy to be. Um, How how children accept and receive love and how they are refused love will make all the difference. Um, In John 8, 3 through 11, there's a story about an adulterous woman. And I'm going to jump down to, uh, to all the people persecuting her and what Jesus said to her. What did he say to her? He said, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on to no more. Because Jesus did not come in the world to judge the world, but that through him he might, we might be saved. So we're not here to judge when we're around people. We're not here to judge. We're not here to condemn. We're here to love them. We're here to build relationship, to do whatever we can to express that Jesus will save them. So We can see what Jesus does, and that's our model. If he did not condemn this woman, who are we to condemn anyone? When he called Matthew the tax collector, the Pharisees said, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Is it not those who are it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick? But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion. We need to spend time with the people. Each other, the neighbors, Samaritans, the unpleasant ones, the enemies, if we can. I mean, sometimes that's not our that's not our choice. We need to love them. Maybe from afar, we need to love them and not interfere. But um, we need to spend time, especially with the people that we think of as the Samaritans in our life. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. That's what we need to do. We need to see his model and follow it. The last one I'm going to do, thank you all for letting me go over, um, is about Mary and Martha. <laughs> Is that favorite. I'm going to look at it a little differently so it might not be the way you look at Mary and Martha uh, I'm going to read the whole story now as they were traveling along he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word but Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me with all the serving to do alone tell her to help me But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I'm not as concerned with whether Mary and Martha were doing what things. I'm not concerned about whether we are too busy in our lives. What I want to look at is how Jesus behaved. How did he treat Martha? He did not brush her off or discount her. He validated her. You are worried and bothered about so many things, but then he corrected her. Only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good part. How did he treat Mary? He accepted her. He did not. He did not treat her as one of the housewives that needs to be doing their work. She did not think that that was the most important. When I look at this, and I started thinking about this, God really brought this to mind early in the preparation. And I thought about the relationship between Mary and Martha and what that should look like. About the relationship between sister and sister and brother and brother, that we need to understand that there's only one thing necessary. And if we are busy and we see somebody else isn't busy and we get resentful, we need to call it for what it is. If they're doing the thing that's necessary, if they're spending time Where God wants them to be, if they're spending time with the Lord and the house isn't getting clean. And this might be us looking at a friend who doesn't keep their house clean. And maybe we think, gosh, why don't they keep their house clean? Or that we think that our house isn't clean enough because their house is always clean and ours isn't. And we just beat ourselves up that we can't keep our house clean. But that's not the necessary thing anyway. We've got our eyes on the wrong priorities. How about parent to child? How we treat our kids. Are, are we complaining because their room is a mess? And are they busy serving their friends by inviting them to come play and giving them a place? Because they know their house is the house where, where kids can be welcome and happy, and so they want everybody to come to their house. And yet we're worried because the house is a mess. What's our priorities? Husband to wife. Wife to husband. Are we upset because our husband hasn't repaired the fence or taken out the trash? Or are we upset because our wife doesn't have dinner on the table? What are they really doing? Are they doing what God calls them to do? Are they doing the necessary thing? So I was amazed in looking at Mary and Martha from a very different point of view, looking at relationships, because that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at Jesus as the model for relationships. There are so many, I mean, every interaction he has, Not just what he commands, but what he does. Because he is our model. He is God's love in the world, walking and talking. And that's what we're supposed to become. That's what we're transforming into. So that's one of the things we can do. There's a lot of ways that we can find ourselves. We said it's really hard to love like God loves. But we can find the clues. They're all in there. Just look at Jesus. Look at what he commands. Look at how he treats people. Bottom line, look how he treats people. Look how he talks to people. And then we tell God we can't do it. We're going to rely on you. We're going to rely on you to bring messages. We're going to rely on you to help us get through the day, to get a job. We're going to rely on you all these things, but we're going to rely on you to show us how to love. Pray with me, please. Father, we want to feel your love We want to know it and feel it and let it bring us to tears. And then we want to respond, and and we want to respond to you. We can't add anything to you. You are all love. You've told us what to do. Be the conduit. The way we love you is to love others. We just ask right now that you can fill us with love. You've shown us during this message, during this time, somebody that is a Samaritan to us, somebody that we avoid, that we're uncomfortable with, somebody that you want us to love. Or you've shown us somebody, our own family, that we're supposed to love even though they're difficult. Or you've shown us an enemy that we need to forgive, that we need to love them, we need to pray for them. You've shown us these things and we lay them at your feet We know that we cannot do it unless we're saturated in you. So bring us close to you, saturate us in your love, and perform the miracle that will show others that we are your disciples. That is the miracle. The fact that we can love, the fact that we can love like Betsy, love the people that were persecuting her, that is the miracle that speaks to others, and that is the thing that you want us to do for you in this world to save others, to continue to save others. Thank you for this time. and Thank you for all that the worship team brought us. We just pray that we can continue to go out and love each other as we move across, have a meal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.